This is Yoel's Hangouts Podcast. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to the show. I truly appreciate the support. Welcome to Yoel's Hangouts Podcast. I'm your host, Yoel. I got a very special guest here, uh, Richard Jones from the True Crime Historian Podcast. Did I say that right? Yeah, that's right. Crime historian. You are the true crime historian, though, correct? That, that's me. Yeah, that's me. What is what is your what is your background like? How did this how did this start? As far as you know, your passion for it and like how the pod, how did the podcast start? Um, well, I was a newspaper guy for twenty five years, and I worked for my hometown newspaper, and uh, I did a lot of stories about local history and the local culture and things of that sort. Where are you from? And then in in uh, two thousand and thirteen, where, where um, is where that, that? Hold on. No, you're fine. In 2013, they offered me a buyout. Um, you know, the newspaper business isn't what it used to be. And uh, in fact, for, for most of my career, I was an arts journalist. That is, I wrote uh, about plays and, 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 and music and, and uh, you know, art galleries and all kinds of things like that, in addition to the local culture. Wow. Um, and they discontinued that job about five years before I left. And they had me working, you know, like school beats and city hall and things like that, which I, I really didn't like very much. Yeah. So in 2013, when they offered a buyout, I, I jumped at it, you know, yeah, and I sure. thought, well, let's, let's find a second career. And it came about kind of sudden. So I didn't really have a plan B. Uh, so what I ended up doing was um, I, I put out feelers for a couple of different things that was going on. Um, you know, I, 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 I uh, started up like a, uh, a local community based, website as an alternative to the local newspaper. Yeah. Um, and then I also wrote uh, a book about a local murder that had taken place in, uh, in 1975 in uh, Hamilton, Ohio, where I'm from, uh, when uh, James Rupert murdered 11 members of his family on Easter Sunday. And Jeez. I had done a bunch of research on that because a friend of mine wanted to do a documentary, a film documentary. So I had done all this research and I thought, well, I'll write a book about that. And so I wrote the book and it never got published. But in the process of trying to get it published, I wrote two other books about uh, local historical crimes. Wow. And, uh, and I just became, in doing the research, I became fascinated with the way that the newspapers the way they wrote back in the day, you know, mm. uh, they, they were much more narrative. They were much more descriptive. You know, they mm. were doing things that I wasn't allowed to do as a, as a reporter For in sure. modern times. Um, so I just kind of fell in love with, with all these, uh, these newspaper reports. And I can pretty much remember the, the, the evening that I decided to do a podcast on this all as I was doing some research and I found this crazy, crazy story out of Roseburg, Oregon, where a <laughs> I'm dentist. From Oregon. Yeah, are you from Oregon? Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So you know where Rose, Rose of course, is? yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so back in the twenties, there was a dentist there, and I guess Roseburg was still a kind of a growing community then, and it was one of those northern exposure kind of situations. They needed a dentist, so they reached out to a dental school in Chicago and got this guy to come out. And because he was from the big city, you know, he became a, a, a maven of local culture. You know, he, he started a music club and all this kind of stuff. And he started investing in property. But apparently he, he overdid it. And so he, he decided he was going to fake his death so that his family could get the insurance money. And then he wow. could take off and start a new life somewhere else. 
And wow. so he, he came up with this elaborate ruse uh, to, to kill the local hermit and dress him up in his clothes and wreck his car and burn it up and use dynamite and all this other stuff. Local hermit? Yeah, mm-hmm. like a, he was a handyman who like lived off in the woods. And he, he, he reached out to him to, uh, with, with his, his, for him, the, the ruse was he wanted to blow some stumps up. You know, he was clearing some land and he yeah. wanted this, this, uh, this, this guy to help him uh, use dynamite to, to blow up these stumps. And so he, he tried to poison the guy and, and he just threw up the poison, the whiskey. And so he shot the guy and then he pulled out all of his teeth. Anyway, it's, it's a gruesome story Sheesh. and it just got crazier and crazier. So as I was reading this, my girlfriend was sitting there in the living room with me and I, I would stop. She was watching TV. I'd say, stop, you got to hear this. And I'd read her a passage of it. And so I, I started I thought, you know, this would be a good idea for a podcast, you know, just yeah. to take these local, these old newspaper reports and craft them together into a story. Because like I said, they were so narrative and so descriptive in their writing back then that I found that I could put together a, a short story just using, uh, you know, just cobbling together the, the old newspaper reports. And at uh-huh. that time, it was about the time that Serial took off. Uh, and it raised the profile of both podcasts and true crime. And so What's I thought, cereal? well, cereal, you know, the, the, um, uh, serious cereal, no, the cereal podcast it was about, uh, the, the Uh-oh. Adnan site, you know, the, the case in Maryland where the teenager killed his girlfriend. Oh, it was a, it was a spinoff of, of this American life, basically. Interesting. Okay. And anyway, so, um, so I thought, well, maybe I'll do a couple podcast episodes and, and sell some more books. For sure. And uh, so I put out some feelers and I, took, I, I do a lot of, uh, at the time was doing a lot of speaking in libraries and things of that sort <clears throat> uh, because I'd written these books. And uh, so I recorded some of my presentations and it, just the sound quality was, you know, was terrible. <laughs> and, uh, but I put it them out It always starts there. out that way, but yeah. you know. Well, I put you them out to. there. Yeah. And, and then I promptly forgot about it. So I put it out there. It was like in May and I, I, I started an account with Podbean and posted like two or three of these stories, these uh, public talks I'd given and, uh, and forgot about it. And then about Thanksgiving time, five or six months later, I happened to think about it. So I went back and checked and I had like 5,000 listens. And I thought, well, you uh-huh. know, that's not too bad. Yeah. So, um, so then I started just every week, I would just go through the newspapers. I'd find an old murder. I'd, you know, I'd look up the story where they found the body. And then I would, uh, you know, read that. And then, you know, the, where they would make the arrest. And maybe there would be an interview with one of the neighbors or, a, you know, a witness to the crime or, or yeah. some background story. So I would just take all these old newspaper accounts and cobble them together to do a narrative. Um, you know, I started out with like a half hour show. Uh, and then I would get a case that was like really good and I would end up like with an hour. I thought, well, that's kind of long, but I'll go with it. And yeah. it would get more listens. And so then one came up and it was like an hour and a half. I thought, well, that's kind of long, but I'll go with it. And it got yeah. even more listens. So I, I found, I discovered that the length of it didn't really matter that much. In fact, no. it kind of it worked out that sometimes the longer the episode, the more listens it got. So I just started doing that. I started out doing two a week and that got to be too much. Uh, so I cut back to about one a week. I'm on right now. I'm working on episode number 427. So I've been wow. out now. 
Wow. That's a lot of dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, man, you are probably callous to all this stuff. You probably just do not care. <laughs> no, I well, every once in a while I'll get one that shakes me up a little bit, but uh, yeah, for the but most that, part, that has to be like, <laughs> yeah, so I just bad. look at the story, you know. I look at the, yeah. you know, because what, what, I'm, I'm not really that into true crime to be honest. Yeah. So, so, but what I, what I get out of it is the human drama. You know, mm. I think you know, when when you get involved in a murder case, if it's you know, if you're accused of something or somebody close to you gets murdered I, I imagine that's probably one of the probably one of the most dramatic things a person can go through in their life yeah, so that's sure. the kind of stuff that i look for is is the dramatic mm. element you know to find the backstory and you know why they did this and, and what was yeah. going on with You're it, right you know so that's yeah, the that kind of stuff sense. that keeps me going you like why do you think because a lot of that stuff you know cops like even these crime shows, you know, CSI, there's something that like is so gripping, like your watch time and how you're saying how like the longer it is, the better it it, it uh, gets listened does yeah. not surprise me because there's just something so gripping about that stuff. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, I, I thought about that a lot. And, and part of it, you have to factor into it that most of the most true crime fans are female. <laughs> You know, my yeah. listenership why is about 70% female. I'm know? so curious. But the thing is, you know why, actually, now that I am saying this, like asking this question, they love drama. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Plus, I, I tell people that every story I do is a cautionary tale, you know, mm. uh, and, and I think, you know, they, they look at these as a way to to maybe to be able to identify you know, when yeah. they might be in trouble, you know, yeah, when for these sure. things might From come like a up. primal perspective. Yeah, exactly. Like, like yeah. it's, um, it's a way of preparing themselves, uh, to, to, if, if something like this were to happen to them, how would they yeah. respond? You know, how, sure. how, you know, and, and I think about, you know, one, one of the most popular true crime podcasts out there now is, um, my favorite murder. And they have a, uh, mm. a catchphrase that they use called stay sexy, don't get murdered, you know? Mm. So, so that that kind of speaks to to the um, to, to the cautionary element of it all, I believe. You know, yeah. and other than that, like you said, I think it's the drama. You know, it's they're sometimes they're very operatic in their content. You know, uh, the yeah. one I'm working on right now, for instance, this guy, um, a, a boxer, an old boxer. He's like 51 now, and this takes place in the uh, 1920s. Um, he falls in love with a, a woman who is an antiques dealer and she's already married, you know? And so his past and, and the insanity in his family and, and the drama over her divorce and, you know, the, the, their separation and, you know, his getting into the scene and all of that just makes this real, you know, gripping uh, triangle, you know, that makes mm -hmm. it a very interesting story. And plus the defendant, Kid McCoy is his name. He's a very colorful character himself, you know, and uh, so it makes it, you know, a very interesting uh, uh, reading for me. And for sure. And so then I just, I record a bunch of stuff and then I just start piecing it together and, and crafting basically a short story, a true crime short story out of old newspaper accounts. So that's pretty much my sure. shtick. And uh, so for me, like I live in, in Los Angeles, like I'm super into videography and like that area. And I really love documentaries and want to like, I'm like starting, I, I was starting the process of like doing a documentary, but like COVID kind of just like 
ruined a lot of that and I didn't want to do like yeah. interviews like over Zoom for a for a you know documentary. I just didn't really want to do that. But uh I feel like you're one of those people that's like super interested in why people do the things that they do, you know, the motivations, the trauma, how they manifest themselves, you know, in the present and how, you know, certain factors, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, have you ever been into, uh, you know, writing for films or anything like that? Has that always ever been an interest of you or just strictly journalism's like more of your passion? Well, actually, you know, I, I think that this concept that I use for my podcast would make a pretty good television series. And the way mm -hmm. I kind of envision it, you know, in my fantasy is that it would be like, um, like a, a documentary, but it would be, you know, as, as if it were back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, it, and that you could enter like, like when they interview design, somebody like you know, everything you could, looks you could use the exact quotes that they use yeah. you know and just kind of like um anachronistic you know like it would mm. be in, back in the day but you would present it like a modern day documentary mm. as if you know what i'm saying i think that yeah, would make a sure. really cool television series you know it would i've seen i've seen a documentary similar to like that where like it's a documentary they have interviews and they kind of have like you know when they do like diagrams or they do um, reenactments of someone saying like describing the process of it happening right. but right. this time with with one of the documentaries that i watched it was like the actual person that did it getting out of jail like actually yeah. playing it out and i was like this is interesting like what is going on here and that is like the like crossover of like acting and also like um you know the 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 classic way of shooting a documentary that's you know a little bit you know cookie cutter you have the diagram maybe it's a cartoon maybe it's like actors that's like blurry you know i think that would be super interesting so that i think that would be i think there is something there and i think that's similar to what i'm trying to do like this is an interview podcast so it's like i want to do interviews in my documentaries so it's like that makes sense i think we both have that like our back pocket uh future wishing of you know that happening or you know i yeah. i want to actively you know pursue that and go into that yeah but yeah. uh the passion you know passions they find you you know uh, you think you go through life you think you know what you want to do and but then you just start doing stuff and then you're like wait this is kind of what i want to do but like not exactly how i thought it was going to be yeah but like right. it is satisfying kind of all the needs that i have as far as my artistic like expression or like the things that I'm just like temperamentally, you know, kind of like to do. Yeah. Were you like, were you like this as a kid or were you just, you know, this oh, yeah. is kind of a later. Yeah. I was, uh, stuff? What, what I, uh, yeah, I, I, of course I did a lot of writing and reading when I was a kid and, and kind of my forte was the, the humorous personal essays. You know, I remember mm -hmm. one time I wrote, I, I smashed my thumb uh, in a, a project uh, and had to go to the hospital. And so one of my first essays that really got a lot of attention was one that I wrote about going to the hospital and, you know, the way the doctors treated me and all this stuff. And, and, uh, it, it was pretty funny. And I also did a lot of, uh, uh, I was, I was fascinated with comic strips. And so mm -hmm. I would create comic, my own comic strips and things of that sort. And in fact, when I, my college degree is in creative writing, I only got oh, wow. into newspaper business kind of by accident you know like i got yeah. a degree in creative writing and there weren't any jobs for poets out there you know but but i, I happened to get a job with my hometown newspaper there you and go. uh and Somewhere i finally i enjoyed doing that you know yeah for sure 
Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful that's a beautiful gig for that niche of a degree, man. Like that's a tough that's a tough one. That's not as, you know, uh, you know, marketable as, you know, an engineer coming out of college. Let's let's say that, you know, it's right, a little right. harder to find find a yeah, gig. Yeah, most so of my classmates are it, most of my classmates at creative writing program ended up as bartenders and landscapers and things of that sort, you know. Yeah. I think I've only met like one who actually uh made a living writing novels <laughs> the rest yeah. of them they, they make their living doing other things and you know most of them still continue to do their creative writing on the side yeah uh, yeah but uh yeah doing the newspaper thing and especially the kind of job that i that i worked myself into that is writing about the arts and entertainment um yeah. you know because i would go out and i would interview people who who loved what they did you know yeah. so it was always uh you know kind of a positive experience until they did away with that job and had me covering s school board and city council meetings and you know that that's yeah. just there's you know there's there's a limit to how much creativity you can put into that stuff you know for sure for sure and so i, so I, I kind of got i got really bored with it and so that's why when they offered the buyout i just said yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I can barely wait for the meeting to be over. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, finding that balance because I'm sure, like, maybe the you know your buddies they didn't really have they didn't get the opportunity to do what they love, but maybe they they might have gotten the opportunity. Maybe they got the opportunity that you ended up getting, where it was like they might have been doing what they liked, but it wasn't exactly fulfilling them or right. you know other not only your friends but other people that come out of out of school for you know artistic uh, degree you come out and then you you know you go in the job market you're like ah oh, this isn't really what i want to do but then you realize maybe that's just not the right job but <laughs> that's always a difficult conversation because you know i'm fortunate enough to make a living off of what i want to do i do like photography and videography which is like kind of up the alley of you know, film and stuff, which is beautiful. But uh, what do you think like is the factor that, you know, where you are, right? You're a person that graduated with this degree that's very difficult to uh, necessarily market, but you've found your lane and you've made your, your way doing it and then some, right? Uh, yeah. What do you think, you know, maybe for the listeners uh, listening or watching, is kind of the factor that you feel like, you know, maybe sets you apart from your peers that actually ended up making you successful? Uh, well, I think, first of all, I was a really good writer, you know, and I, I don't say that in a bragging way, but I think I proved that, you know. Yeah. Um, when I, when my first job in the newspaper business was actually as an editor of a weekly newspaper. And so that was kind of a boring job. But what I figured out was, there was nobody because it's kind of a, in Hamilton, Ohio, it's not a, a very big newspaper. So there wasn't anybody who was like doing theater reviews. So mm. what I did was I went to the, the features editor and I said, you don't have anybody covering, you know, uh, doing the play reviews. I love the theater and they invite me to their press nights. I'd love to start writing play reviews. And they said, Oh, okay, go ahead. And so I did that. And then I said, well, you know, you don't have anybody doing like record reviews. How about, would you like somebody to do that? And they said, yeah, sure. I'd love to. So I kind of elbowed my way into it, you know? And, and so yeah. I was doing, I was doing hey, my weekly mouth newspaper. does not get fed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So while I was doing the weekly editing thing, I was doing this other stuff on the side, yeah. basically. But when that job, when the job on the features desk became open, 
I applied for it and got it. And so as a one-man arts and entertainment desk, you know, I, I really enjoyed the next 20 years of my career because I was able to just write about things that I love. And that, you know, like I said, when you talk to an artist, you know, you're talking about, you know, they do what they love, you know, so they yeah, love sure. talking about it. And so you get really good stories, you know, and you ask the right questions and then you, you write it up in a way uh, that, that I really became kind of a, you know, a, a kind of a little celebrity in my hometown. Um, you know, outside of Hamilton, nobody knew who I was. Yeah, uh, that's so cool. Uh, well, except, for, except we're close to Cincinnati. So the people in the art scene there, I was covering, you know, the, that stuff too. So I got in with that crowd as well. Um, you know, so I just kind of elbowed my way into the job that I had, you know, and, and really enjoy doing it and received some national recognition for it. I was uh, a, a national endowment for the arts fellow for musical theater and, and got to go to a, a Los Angeles for a, a two week, you know, uh, residency, you know, so wow. I got to do a couple things like that. And I was uh, also, uh, I won a couple of associated press awards for feature writing. That's um, awesome. And, and I got to interview, you know, I interviewed uh, national people as well. In fact, the, the, one, well, the one year that I got the feature writer of the year was because of interviews I did with like David Crosby and, and uh, Jane Goodall, the, you know, the, the chimpanzee lady, you know, it was oh, those wow. kinds of people and those kinds of profiles uh, that, that really raised my, my profile in, in, sure. in the kind of the national scene. For sure. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Like what you said in the beginning is like, there's so much to be said about doing the work first, especially in the arts, you know, scene is like saying like, Hey, I'll work for free, you know, maybe just out of pure passion, or maybe it's more strategic and saying, Hey, I'll do this for a little bit for you, you know, just out of passion, I'll do a good job. And then doing that for a little bit and then realizing that like, Hey, there's opportunities available because you sharpen your sword. Now, by the time that job is available, you already know what to do. Right. Yeah. You, you get already a, have, and you have a body of work that you can draw from and, and use as an example, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I was, you know, I, I, I liked that job so much that I never really pursued, you know, like going to a bigger newspaper or anything like that. You know, I kind of enjoyed the status as a, a local big, celebrity. Yeah. You know? Big fish in a small pond. Kind yeah, of. exactly. That was, For that sure. was a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. Um, in, in retrospect, you know, who knows if I was, well, I, I guess it worked out okay. You know, I, oh, I have no, no yeah, complaints no. about where I am. Well, the beautiful part is you have the podcast, which has like, you know, far reaching wings as humanly oh, sure. possible. So, you know, it doesn't really, you know, I guess, you, you know, you kind of got your cake and, eat it and ate it too. Am I saying that right? Something got like your that. cake and <laughs> ate it too. <laughs> I don't know, but that's super cool. So where are you located right now? Where do you live right uh, now? I'm in, uh, I'm in Cincinnati right now. Um, Cincinnati? Yeah, I've been riding out the, uh, the pandemic at my girlfriend's house. Actually, um, I live in my go. van. That's where I'm at right now. I've put, Are you I've serious? A little stu- yeah, I, I have a, you know, a little carol that I built so I can record in. And wow. My bed's right over here. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? What made, that, yeah. what made you make that decision? <clears throat> uh, I wanted to travel, you know. Um, and 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 doing this podcast, I, I realized that I don't have to, I'm not I don't have to be place bound to do this. You know, not at I all. I can go anywhere. And in fact, part of my idea was that 
because, you know, most of my research is done on the internet, you know, through newspaper archives that are on the internet, but not every newspaper is on the internet, you know, so part yeah. of my, my, my idea was that I could go to these little towns and, you know, wherever, Iowa and Missouri and, and, and go to their library and, and, you know, and do the research and, you know, just travel the country and, sure. and, and, and doing stories out of, you know, you know, and I've done a bit of that, uh, but this pandemic has kind of gotten in the way Sweet. of it. Yeah, so for sure. for, so um, uh, wow. so I've been parked on, in front of Barb's house <laughs> since March. <laughs> in front of your girlfriend's house, get out, you know. But but in uh, front of your girlfriend's house, yeah, in front of my girlfriend's house. So does she go with you when you make, do these trips? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. She has a trailer. When when I started doing the van, she was like, "Well, I don't know about that," because I set it up so that. You know, I, I don't have to go to a campground, you know, I can yeah. just park on the street somewhere, you know, and be stealthy okay. about it. Although it does, it's what kind of car is it? Huh? What kind of car is it? Oh, it's a, it's a, a Dodge ProMaster van. It's big, van, it's okay. high enough that I can stand up in it oh, and wide go. enough that I can, cause I'm not a very tall guy. So I've got the bed in the back that I can lay crossways and wow. you know, there's no kitchen or anything, but you know, it's, it's, it's enough. For me to so how do you what do you do for food i have so many questions from the for, for this van <laughs> you literally like distracted me so much but i love it so how like what do you eat like on a day-to-day -day? like i'm so curious like, uh, how well, do you when, cook, I'm like, on, when i'm out on the road it's, you know i eat a lot in, in you know in restaurants or i can go to the grocery store and get my dinner you know i don't have oh, a lot of true. storage for food but you know i can go to kroger they have hot food you know that's so true. i can do it on the cheap but it also is a way to to um, when you're when you're in a, a, a you know somewhere else, you can experience the the local culture. You know, oh, 100%. like one, one of my one of my resources is uh, CheapEats.com because they'll 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 direct you to to places where it's you can get food on the cheap, but it's also like the very local places. You know, mm. um, so so you'll find uh you know like a, a a shrimp boil in Savannah or a barbecue in Knoxville. You know, or wow. you know, things like that. Um, and it, it so that that gets a little expensive, but like I said, so you can go to the Kroger and get some hot chicken and a bag of salad, and you got your meal there. You know. That's true, man. I respect that. What about like showers and stuff? Uh, uh, You're like, I don't shower ever. No, I don't shower. No, <laughs> no uh, I have a, a membership to Planet Fitness. There you go. Okay. And, and, and that does double duty, number one. Well, actually Fitness. triple duty because I go there, I can take a shower there. And so I don't feel guilty about just going in and taking the shower. I work out a little bit. So there you I can go. get a little bit of exercise. And because they're privately owned and they don't care, if I need a place to park my van for the night so I can sleep, I just park in the uh, Planet Fitness parking lot. Because you're a member. Because I'm a member. member and I've never, had, I've never been hassled with it. You know, sometimes when you're parked on the street, you know, a neighborhood might, you know, in a neighborhood, uh, the, you know, somebody might get suspicious and call the cops. Oh, of course. Or I've been roused of course. Yeah. And uh, so I've had to deal with that, but it's never happened at a planet fitness, you know? No. I mean, you remember, what are they going to say? Yeah. I'm, like, I, you, yeah, well, I made sure I put stickers on the front and back, you know, that say planet oh, fitness. So that they know, you know, <laughs> so, you oh, okay, well he's in there working out, you know, he's part of the gang. That's yeah. Funny. That's part, part, part of the stealthiness. Yeah. It's part of the stealthiness. I love it. Um, so from your shows, what do you think is your, what, what has been your favorite episode and why? Oh, man. I know that's tough. Yeah. Um, 
I'll tell you, there are a couple cases that really struck me. Um, one was um, there was a serial killer in Massachusetts. I think this was in the, like the 19 teens. Um, her name was Jane Toppin, Jolly Jane, they called her, because she was, she was a nurse and she was very outgoing and, and egregious, you know, and just very likable. But then it turned out that she was poisoning her patients and, oh, uh, and she would crawl into bed with them and, and not, it was kind of a sexual component to it. I mean, she didn't have sex with them, but she would get in bed with them and, and caress them and stroke them while they oh. died after she poisoned them. And so oh, that was one that really, yeah. <laughs> and Man. so, yeah, you come across all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It'd be really tough to pick out a favorite because uh, there, there's so many of them. I mean, fav- uh, favorites, a favorites, a tough term too. I mean, yeah, you know I mean? yeah. yeah because you know, favorite, it, right? the, the other thing is, I've done so many of these that yeah. uh, they kind of morph know, together. I'm sure. It, yeah, and it's kind of hard to remember. You know, I, I'm yeah. working on the one right now. I know that one because <laughs> that's yeah, the one sure. I've been reading all day long. Uh, but, but, uh, so what do you think? What do you think? Start like. It's interesting. Like people have like these like interesting fetishes that, you know, you don't know where they like deeply like are rooted from and why they like them. And, you know, I think everyone has their things that they like, you know, whatever it may be. What do you think that like comes from? Like what, what, what is the psychological state that a person has to get to, to get to the point where they are poisoning patients and getting in bed with them and Obviously, there's no one thing, but like, where, like, I'm curious to, you know, to, because you've done so many of these stories, I'm sure that maybe through pattern recognition, you may have a perspective on that. Yeah. Usually, well, not usually, but uh, it might be usually, but you don't always know because you don't always get the whole story, you know. Of course. I mean, you get parts of it. But I think a lot of it might have to do with, with trauma, you know, and yeah. family background and the way people were raised. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's amazing how many people who go on trial for murder uh, come from families, you know, with, with a lot of, with a history of insanity or violence, you know. Um, the, in fact, the case I'm working on now, Kid McCoy, um, I just finished reading <clears throat> his, uh, his trial, his, his testimony at his trial, and, uh, and he talked about um, his parents and, and uh the the insanity that was in his family and he had both of his parents were you know doing bizarre things and and his sister uh one of his sisters uh was was hospitalized for a while and they talked about how she um was uh delusional in that she thought she was in a movie you know and so she was Uh, doing all these stunts thinking that she was in a film that happens a lot have you seen um uh something don't don't f with cats have you seen that documentary on Netflix? no no i've been told i should read uh look at that though (sighs) man that's another one of those where like the guy thought he was in a movie i mean that that was part of you know a long line of trauma that i'm sure he uh experienced but yeah, I think, you know, trauma is, I mean, through what I know, you know, which is not very much, yeah. I think trauma is kind of the, the common denominator there. But yeah. um, the other like, thing, I guess, would be uh, desperation. You know, you feel mm. like you've got no other choice but to, mm. 
do this because of, well, like in the case of Dr. Brumfeld in Roseburg, Oregon, you know, he was, he lost all of his money. He was losing oh, his he? fortune and he was leaving okay. his kid. His kids were, you know, they, he felt like his, his, uh, he was leaving his family in, in destitution. And so the only way out of it in his mind was to, to fake his death. And the way he Man. did that was, you know, just to kill this guy that he thought nobody would miss, you know, oh, and, that's uh, dark. Didn't work out for it. <laughs> it was Man. a thin ruse, as I like to say. <laughs> it's hard to get away with murder. I, I'm sure you've really, you've, you've realized that. Especially, I mean, even back then, right? Like now it's like, man, you ain't getting oh, away yeah. with it. No, like, no, not, not. not to, cause there's, you know, with the forensics they have and cameras everywhere, you know, people ask me all the time, what would be the perfect murder? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think because the perfect murders we don't know about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? That's a really you, good you point. You don't even know that they were our murder. I think that would be yeah. the perfect murder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But how you do that. Some gang stuff, some gang stuff or, you yeah. know, stuff where quote unquote, people don't really care about them or it happens a lot to where they don't really, you know, investigate it, investigate it, but make it look yeah, random. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make it look random, you know? Yeah. But you know, just don't do it. <laughs> like, how about that? But yeah, it's interesting. I, when you're talking about the dentist story, though, I always think about like how much ego is like powerful, right? Like I have like, you know, been doing well. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Like I have great gigs with my, uh, with my clients and, you know, other stuff going on, but um, you know, my expenses are going up, right? just, you know, part of running a business. Right. And I'm like, and I used to do this thing called uh, Postmates and uh, Instacart. You know what that is, obviously, yeah. you know, they deliver food. And now I'm like, dang, like, I thought I was past that. But now I'm like, well, shit, like, if I have a little bit of extra time, you know, why don't I do this stuff? But oh, I'm this like business owner, like I have all this stuff going on. But it's like, but I really had that thought of like, am I really not going to do it because I think I'm like too cool for it? Like it's, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's really interesting. Right. But, but I do, I just, I just, I just did it today and I did it yesterday, but it's really interesting because I always think about what motivates the feelings that I have and what motivates my actions. And a lot of people create these like fabricated and artificial things that they quote unquote can't do. Like they're, my back is against the wall. I can't do this because, or else I'm going to be broke. It's like, you are in, you, people care, people have such massive egos and care so much about what other people think to the point where they will murder someone just to not have to face the fact of losing money, not, you know, getting slighted like X, you know, the list goes on and on. Like, why do you think that that is such like, a big part of the world we live today. Like people are, has such fragile egos. I don't know, man. I think that factors into a lot of what we see in the, the political landscape these days. I think uh, they, uh, you often hear that phrase from Mark Twain that uh, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled. You know, I think it's, it's easier. Can you say that one more time? It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled. Got it. So yeah. you, so you dig in, you know, you, you stick to your lie. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> you, sure. You stick, you stick to that lie because yep. you can't admit that oh, I was stupid. Double down. To be taken in by this, you know? 
It's dangerous. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So dangerous because then, you know, you start to live within a false, you know, false reality. Not only for the the people that you're fooling. You might you might think like, "Oh, you know, I know." It's like, "No, nah, like you just created a not realistic dynamic with whoever's involved in that lie." And yeah, like, you know, I don't want to get political. I, I, I don't know who you support and, you know, it really has nothing to do with that. But, you know, when Trump, he'll just say something and then triple down. And then even when it's disproven, he won't let it go. Like, hey, you lost. And then it's like, oh, no, there was it's like that is such a dangerous game to play over, you know, the long term. Yeah. And I mean, for him, he's he's kind of getting a little bit older. But um yeah, so it's just like it, it's not a it's not a good place to live because good place to be at because then you dehumanize yourself and that's how tyrannies and all of these um, corrupt societies start is like yeah what I'm saying is a hundred percent right no new information needs to be introduced to me I'm not updating my my rules and what regulations of what I think this right. is right a hundred percent and you know that's not America America is hey. You know, things are going great, but things are always changing. So we always need to be, you know, adapting. And, and yeah, there's things that are, you know, tried and true. But I think that, you know, we get in a dangerous place politically and even within our homes and with even, even within ourselves when we don't allow for updating. We don't allow for saying like, hey, based on these circumstances, things need to change. You know, th- mm-hmm. I was wrong about what I thought before. And this is what you know, needs to be done moving forward. Like, what is your philosophy on that? I try to keep an open mind on things, you know, and in fact, I question myself every day uh, because, you know, people are so vehement in in what they believe in um, that I have to, you know, why am I not seeing it? Why can't I get my head around that point of view, you know? And I do that almost every day is I think to myself, "Am, am I, (laughs) <laughs> you know, crazy am, am i the delusional one you know yeah. am give me I an the example give me an example give me an example i'm super well, curious this whole thing about denying the election you know mm-hmm. um you know it, 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 you think is 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 it possible that there is this big conspiracy out there you know yeah. uh you know and i try and look at it from that example how could that happen yeah. you know but i do too same and but, look but, Trump doesn't have a ton of credibility with me because so that's why I'm very uh, skeptical when he says stuff like that, because I mean, he will say whatever, but I do, you know, even before the election, there was a lot of talk about the electoral college, you know, what really, what is really considered a win. And, you know, is it really like, you know, you know, these conversations were happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had a similar perspective as you it was of like, but listen, like when something has been going a certain way for a while, you know, I don't want to say I'm like part of the mob, but look, like, are we going to say that out of all of the elections, like the one Trump is in where he already doesn't have credibility, he's going to be the one that questions yeah. the system. Right. Am I really going to like, out of all the presidents, out of all the losses, he's the last person that I'm going to be like, oh, he's a rational person. Him questioning, you know, the credibility of this election makes a, little, a ton of sense. Right, exactly. That's what that's what made it tough for me. Well, it, it's not Trump so much that I'm concerned about, though. It's it's the people in my life who have latched on to 
Trumpism, you know, yeah. and can't just can't let go of it. And, 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 and the vehemence with which they go about it, you know, um, it's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, call, you know, because my own father called me delusional, you know, and, and frankly, I haven't had a conversation with my, my, my 82 year old father since Trump was elected, not because wow. of his election, but because of the things that that brought out, you mm. know, in, in him and mm. then the conversations that we had, you know, mm. and, and his inability to, to, to face what I see as an objective reality, you know, that this yeah. guy's a con <laughs> basically. And, yeah. you know, so, so, so that's my concern is how these people that, that I grew up with, uh, the people that I went to school with, you know, I come from a very conservative part of, of, of Ohio mm. um, and, and guys that I went to high school with, and we got along so good for so many years that all of a sudden they're calling me names, you know, on the yeah. internet. They're calling me stupid and, and, uh, you know, I hate the word libtard. That's, that's one that just rankles me to no end. Um, and, and, and just being almost like violent, violently angry with me for what I, for just trying to have a conversation, you know, yeah. about, you know, explain to me why you think this is good, you know, explain to me why this way of looking at the world is good for our country. Just tell me that. And they can't do it without resorting to name calling and, and uh, you know, and just yeah. anger, you know, their, their anger comes out when I'm just trying to, to have a conversation, you know, and I can't yeah. have it with these guys anymore. There are a few that I can, you know, I have a very conservative friend that I work with and we're going to have lunch next week and we can talk about these things without insulting each other and, you know, and, and, and calling each other names. But some of these guys, they can't do that. And I can't get my head around that. You know, we, we, yeah. we got along, we got along for 40 years, <laughs> yeah. you know, and now all of a sudden, you think I'm stupid. You used to respect me, but now you don't seem to anymore, you know, and I, I don't understand that. So that's what concerns me more than, than Trump himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's, what it's bringing out in people and the, you know, the thing, the, the, I, I agree. Like I grew up in a pretty conservative city, you know, where, uh, you know, probably not if you don't really know Oregon, McMinnville, Oregon is, it's a very small city in no. Oregon. Um, 30,000 people. Um, a lot of stuck in their ways type of people, but a lot of beautiful people, a lot of friends that I still talk to to this day and, you know, really cool people. And um, I just saw, you know, the initial election of Trump, I just saw a lot of people um, not seeing what I was seeing. And generally speaking, I respect my own perspective on things. I've never been super scared to have an opinion or have a thought that I thought was right, that maybe other people did not did not see. That's never really been, you know, uncomfortable for me. Like I'm very hard on myself. So if I've come to a conclusion that I'm like, okay, this person is not a good candidate, you know, for me that perspective was um, relatively the consensus in my brain. So I was like, okay, cool. That should, generally speaking, when it's something that like, okay, like this guy's, you know, blah, X, Y, and Z. Okay. Other people are going to see this as X, Y, and Z, but it was the complete opposite. People were talking about him. Like he's our savior and like all of this. And I literally was like, 
I didn't think I was crazy. I was like, what is wrong? Like, I think I, then I, I went into, let me explain it to them. And then I tried to explain it. I had a couple big, long Facebook posts like, hey, this is what I think. I'm big, cool, you well, listen to me. And then uh, <laughs> the, the comments and like the conversations I had was I was like, Am, do I live... I, I didn't like I was like, do I live in a different reality than every everybody else? And I was and then it just kind of exposed who they were and it exposed like how people process information and how people um where people what things people value and what people what things people do not value. And hierarchically, like how that's organized in their brain, right? Like there's certain characteristics characteristics of someone that is more important than other characteristics. That's what really taught me a lot. That's what that taught me, like that specific scenario. And it was just very, uh, very interesting because people like Trump have always existed, right? But um, it was kind of like a social experiment seeing him uh, not only go so far, but win and have people continue to support him while he continues to behave the way he behaved. So it was just a, uh, it was a very interesting time and we're still uh, living. I don't know if he's like conceded or not. I don't know what's going on with, with that. I don't, I don't think he has. Like, I haven't watched much news today, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's wild. What What is your, like, I'm curious to know, cause you're very, you seem very uh, analytical and smart. What do you think like has been, what, what do you think makes Trump such a draw for people? Um, I guess like, do you have like, have you thought about it? Like from like a, I'm curious from like a deeper level, do you have a perspective on it? You know, I, I really hate to say this and you don't have to, but well, I, I'm we going to, about because before. this is, okay, this cool. is, because I really think it's, it, it's not the whole story, but, but, but I think there, I think, I think that, that racism is really at the heart of it. You know, I think because, because, uh, you know, because they talk about how divisive Obama was, you know, and I don't, and I can't see that, you know, I can't see anything that Obama said or did that was divisive. He always seemed to me, you know, and I'm not a hundred percent on the Obama train, but he, but I do think that he, was trying to bring people together that he was trying to, you know, to, to, to create, um, you know, some, some unity, but yet they talk about how divisive he was. And in, in a way he was divisive because, <laughs> because this, <laughs> this racist component, this under this, this undercurrent of racism, uh, got them to thinking that, you know, they, they were so angry at having a black man in charge that, that they set out to prove that even the least, the worst white man is still better than the best black man. You know what I'm saying? And, and you said it, I, I didn't want to say it, <laughs> but trust me, these are, this is a very, you touched on a great point right there. And it's one that, um, people that don't understand why they feel and think the way that they do need to be honest with themselves, not for, you know, some 
crazy. Like this is very dangerous and it's very um, toxic. Uh, you, you, we have to look at why we feel the way that we feel and we have to look at it even though it's ugly and say, this is not healthy because I'm what's going on right now is making me uncomfortable for a reason that is not good. Like that is not good to feel so like, I mean, if we really take it deeper, essentially what you're saying is it is not okay for a black person to be equal as me. I don't hate Obama. You know, they're not saying they hate Obama. They're not saying that they are going to call him the N word and you know, this and that, and people shouldn't have great lives. It's like, literally like some people's self-worth is grounded on feeling like they're better than other people which is exactly. usually black people in this country which is yeah, where it's exactly. rooted from right so yeah. it's like that's one it kind of goes back to the ego thing right like that's not healthy because guess what the reality is we're way more similar than we think right but we've created this delusion and once that like delusion and that false reality that, you know, this country is grounded upon, which is black people are inferior, white people, you know, will rule until eternity. And that's that a false, white country. <laughs> what was that? And that this is a white country, you know. And that this, that this is a white country. That this is a country of Europeans, you know. Yeah, and, you know, white people are entitled to the pursuit of happiness and all that and not really black people. It's not written in, but, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, when that just blatant not true information is challenged it goes back to what we were talking about earlier right people feel like their back is against the wall and they do things that make you question their sanity make you realize that this person is not who i thought they were right yeah and you know i had i had i i reflected on it a lot because you know for me i was just so confused because not only did I see people, um, you know, he, he's a good salesman, right? But I knew that they were something deeper and people were like, well, you know, there's a big community. He has a good, he has a big base, right? And I was like, well, I don't think that like, you know, the, the base does, it didn't get, like, there's a lot of people that voted for him, which is why he became president, right? So for me, I was like, man, there has got to be some. And then I kept reflecting on it, reflecting on it try and in pattern recognition seeing the types of people that supported him and you know rational people and then i was like oh i got it and it was exactly what you said and i and the, you added the second part which was even though someone that was so credible for the job could get it let's see if we can get someone that is um like not even qualified that's white like as kind of like a fu or like putting their, you know, member on the table and saying, Hey, right. we can, we still run shit. Right. You added that part, which is, which is kind of rounded the whole thing for me. Um, but also I thought it was just, it, it, it was also, and you made it more sophisticated as you probably do majority of the things most people say, because for me, I was like, okay, I get that part, you know, black president, people who didn't like, you know, racist people deep down didn't like that. So they had to get someone that was like white. To, and then I, I, I thought it was like, just the like uh, bravado of Trump. People really wanted to see a masculine uh, white man uh, become like they really wanted that. No matter what, no matter what it took, right? 
Right. But then you made it, yeah, you made it way more, um, you know, you added that extra part and, you know, people don't want to talk about that. And, uh, well, it's hard to talk about, you know, and I, that's why I hesitated even bringing it up, but you know, I, you know, frankly, I was raised in a very racist environment, you know, I mean, my, my father, he bandied about the N word, like, you know, it was nothing, you know, I mean, that was just, and he kind of still does, you know, I mean, we, 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 we talked to him through the years going, you can't talk like that, you know, and, you know, and, and, and the guys I went to school with, you know, I remember when we were kids, you know, that, you know, they would, they would have all these jokes and these songs and things that they, you know, and and it's like, and, and none of it ever, you know, I was never comfortable with any of it, you know, but, but I kind of just, I lived with it because that's where I lived, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's why I, you know, I think now I can say that, that that racism is kind of a, you know, a key component to, to the rise of Trump, you know? I mean, yeah. you, you look at how he came to, to political prominence was with that birther stuff, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and that is, you know, I mean, you can't, that is just totally racist, you know, there's no yeah. getting around that, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's how he came to prominence. And that's kind of what they latched onto. It's like, they, they, they probably won't admit it, you know, but there's no benefit to, to yeah. There, yeah. For them. Well, no, I, 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 you know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> your actions yeah. speak louder than your words, daddy, you know, <laughs> and, and people, and, and, and even people might like the reasoning you gave and the, you know, the reason that I thought, but you made it a little bit more, uh, a little different. People may even consciously know that that's why, but they're like, la, 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 like they don't want, because once they admit it, they're like, oh, fuck, then I'm really racist if I keep. Yeah, right, exactly. Propagating this behavior, right? So there's something about, and that's why I think people are so visceral. They're like, oh, are you calling me racist? Because that's like the word to like, because then you have to have accountability for your actions and people don't want to do that. It's like, you call me racist? No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Don't look at me. Don't look at my actions. Don't, you know what I mean? It's interesting. But um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that, uh, I think we have a long, a long way to go, but I do think, did you see the uh, Nate Robinson, um, Jake Paul fight or like the Tyson fight recently that happened? Are you in the loop with pop culture? I've read about it. I didn't watch it, but yeah. yeah, so so the Logan Paul and Jake Paul, they're these YouTubers. They're actually from Ohio, which is I really is making a weird connection for me right now with you. And uh, I just I, I start to I, I just the way they go about things, they always end up challenging another like black celebrity, and like they always end up um, almost feeling like they have to like prove something. And I don't know why, like you, like the way you described that, like made me think of how people will not formally want like that undercarriage that we were just talking about. It manifests itself uh, with different things and different challenges. Even in the workplace, you see a black person rising up. You want to kind of like you get a little bit uncomfortable. And in the Jake Paul, Logan Paul, they're YouTubers. They always challenge another black celebrity or black Uh, you know youtuber to do like a boxing match with it sounds all fun and games but deep down through pattern recognition i'm like this is not a coincidence this feels weird they're from the mid they're from ohio small town in ohio 
And uh, there's just things that linger, I think, um, that people need to be really, really aware of. You know, we always end up supporting people. We always end up supporting people that look like us, but there's like a really dark way to go about that, right? Right, Like a really unhealthy way. If we're not consciously aware of why we do the things we do. So it's interesting, man. Yeah. This always, this con- my podcast always ends up going to a place where we talk about like some <laughs> well, deeper stuff. It, it kind of dominates what we're living in right now, yeah. you know, and, and it just, it has so much effect on just, you know, I mean, this whole pandemic thing has been mishandled from the beginning, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had the COVID, I think I never got tested mm. for it, but mm. um, back in March, I was out driving around the country and uh, I, I have a lot of ancestry in, in uh, you know, colonial Virginia and that kind of stuff. Mm. And so I, I wanted to go visit some of those places. So I, I was in Jamestown, actually, the ruins of Jamestown. And I was walking my dog around and looking at the, the ruins and, you know, their little displays. And, and I got back to the van and I started coughing, you know. Mm. And uh, I'd been to a, a podcasting conference in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I was on my kind of on my way back from there. And I remember that everybody was, you know, the, the uh, COVID was just taking off and everybody was, uh, it was all about oh, uh, like know, wash your hands. Wa- yeah. Wash your hands. Uh, you know, use sanitizer. Uh, don't shake hands with people, but you know, bump fist bump or bump elbows. Mm-hmm. Nobody was saying anything about wearing a mask, you know? Mm, yeah. It, it was all about, you know, just don't come in contact, you know? And yeah. so I was, well, I was very careful. And when I was at the conference, I, I, I was, I thought it was kind of funny because I go into the men's room and there'd be a grown man standing there washing his hands, singing happy birthday, you know, because they told you <laughs> sing happy birthday twice, That's funny. <laughs> you know? And so I thought that was kind of funny. And so then I got to Jamestown and I started coughing and uh, I thought, well, I better go back to Barb's house. She was in uh, on the West coast at the time. And so I, uh, uh, I, I kind of spent, two weeks in her house just you know sick as a dog um and so now you you hear now it's all about wearing a mask and you know not breathing on people and then you hear from bob woodward that trump knew that it was an airborne thing our government knew in february that it wasn't about surfaces it was about what's in the air you know and that makes me that makes me matter than anything because You know, if we had been wearing masks at that convention, you know, if yeah. I'd been wearing a mask when I was out traveling and going to these restaurants and stuff, maybe I wouldn't have gotten sick, you know? And maybe you wouldn't have spread it. You don't know who you spread it to. Too. Uh, yeah, it's exactly. I probably part. spread it all over Virginia. And, you, you know, know? And, and what makes you mad is, you know, why they didn't dic- disclose it for selfish political reasons. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So... That's, so that makes that makes me so angry now that, you know, when, yeah. when Woodward came out with that interview and it's like, they knew. They knew then that it was an airborne thing and they didn't tell us about that. They told us to wash our hands, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's funny. I had a podcast with someone from Canada and she said that, you know, it's, it's been heard, but yeah, they're getting 2000 bucks a month, just free and clear. I mean, there's a couple of things, stipulations, but Canada, not America, this incredible, prosperous rich country canada they're giving out two thousand bucks a month free and clear 
Yeah. And what, well, and that's what the we're thing. Getting... I mean, they're telling people to stay home, but they're not giving them the means to do that, you know? Yeah. The math so, does not add up. So yeah. I don't know what, pl- I don't know what planet, you know, New York and, you know, wall street and, you know, these like Princeton and Stanford people, I don't know what planet planet they live on, but that's not a reasonable, you know, suggestion for people. Yeah. People need to make, you know, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough and... that, you know, with the podcast and my other sources of income, I, you know, I, I, I've not lost anything, you know, out of this, yeah, you know, I mean, good. I've been able to work and my income hasn't suffered and, you know, my standard of living is what it is, but yeah. you know, I've, I've not suffered because of, of this pandemic, but so many people I know have, you know, because yeah. I know so many people, my children are both in the arts, you know, mm. actually my daughter ended up going to grad school in England <laughs> because, yeah. because she could, because it gave her an opportunity to do that because she couldn't earn money anymore. You know, she, yeah she was out of work, you know? Yeah. And my son had to move. He, they, I mean, they were both living in New York city. My son and his husband, they have to come back to Cincinnati to live because, you know, New York, I mean, they had their apartment was like this tiny, my my van's almost as big as their apartment and they paid, you know, like $3,000 a month for it, you know, and they couldn't now because they were out of work. They, they, he was an actor and he couldn't get work anymore. So yeah, they have to come back to Cincinnati. A lot of people moved out of uh, LA. I'm, I live in LA. A lot of people were like, hey, I got to get out of here. Like, there's nothing for me to do here. The studios are shut down. A lot of production has really decreased because of all the requirements. Even now uh, that things are quote unquote kind of opening up, like you have to have like a full time person there, sanitation expert and like all yeah. this and that. And it's just like, yo, there's, yeah, this is, it's causing a lot of problems, but you know, I ho- hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, the new administration will handle it a little bit better. Couldn't really be much worse. So I'm very optimistic, although, you know, there's no real need to rely on the government in any sense. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the troubling thing to me, you know, is that, uh, and, and, and my, my point of view on this is that the government is, I don't think that they should be leaders, but they are servants, you know, they, yeah. they are put into office to, to work for us, you know? Um, so hopefully we'll kind of get back ideologically, to that. Ideologically, ideologically. Yeah. yeah. But clearly in reality, that that is the last thing they think about. They think, let me get reelected. You know, I get yeah. all this, you know, I look really cool when I'm in office and all this. And, you know, you have to be like hyper competitive and wired like differently to be in those offices. Like you have to like, have like a screw loose a little bit to like get to that point oh i think so yeah yeah. but uh you know i think there's you know good enough people you know especially (laughs) the young people coming up my age old you know older like you know people that are really aware of technology you know i i think i'm actually more optimistic than um you know than i think maybe most people yeah and you know and and as you know i was born in the tail end of the baby boom and, and I am so ready to turn it over to the next generation. You know, that's kind of why I liked Obama. Obama was the first president I had that was younger than me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I like that. And, and, and I, and I, I really want these younger people, you know, uh, AOC and, 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 and those people uh, to really step up and start, you know, affecting some change in this country because we really need it. And sure. this old, 
white man way of thinking just isn't cutting it anymore. You know, nah, it's a totally different world. And, and I say that? that as an old white guy, you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm done, man. I just want to sit back and you know, let you guys, cause sure. I think you got better ideas, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, what do you think of the freedom dividend? of like the free and clear 1000 bucks just because of like just the world that we're getting into and like, you know, these jobs that robots are going to take. And oh yeah. The I th guy. Yeah. What do you think about I think that? I, I kind of like, uh, yeah. Was it uh, a yeah, gang candidate? Yeah. yeah There's um, a, a guaranteed minimum income. I think that's a good yeah. idea. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I think it would, it, it you know, for, I mean, face it, we, we are the, the richest country in the world. We shouldn't have, poverty at the level we do you know where's that money though where's our tax dollars going we're not well, in war it goes 600 to defense. yeah it goes to the defense that. budget if we would cut the defense budget by 10 percent and just use that money to feed and house people we would raise the standard of living for everybody in this country but we got that mindset and that's why the you answer know, so the old white guy way of thinking is we have to have bombs and guns because yeah. of the bad guys that are out there instead of just taking care of our own you know yeah. i don't think there's any excuse one of my other jobs is i uh i do communications for a food bank you know um what does that do entail their, uh i do their like their newsletters and, and their facebook page and that kind of stuff uh, so I maintain all that for them. Um, and that, you know, that's stuff I can do remotely too. Although I do go out Man, and you must be a fast writer. Huh? I feel like you're a fast writer, like a oh, fast I am, typer. <laughs> like, I spent, but you know, that, that's where, that's where working for the newspaper came in because yeah. every day you have, you know, we had quotas that we had yeah. to have like 10 stories a week, you know, I figured wow. it out when, when I left, we had a little luncheon and, you know, to celebrate. And, uh, and somebody said, well, how many stories do you think you wrote? And I started, I thought about it a little bit and I came up with the number of 10,000 bylines, you know, if you figure, you know, eight to 10 stories a week times 25 years, that's a lot of, you know, yeah. and so Jeez. every day, you know, like, one, one thing that I, I, I kind of harp on with people, they talk about getting writer's block. And I'm going, dude, writer's block is an affliction of the wannabe. Because if you're really a writer, you know, you get that shit done, man. Yeah. <laughs> you don't worry about it. You know, you, don't, you can't brood over it. You just get it out there. And if it's wrong, you know, you fix it. The writer's block is, is, is from having too much time. Yeah. That's what I've realized. Yeah. If I have a deadline, That's you're going to figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. And that's yeah. even today, if I don't have a deadline, even if it's a self-imposed one, I have trouble yeah. getting shit done, you know, of course. but, but with the podcast, you know, I set my deadlines and I've been pretty good about it for five. This is my fifth year of the podcast. And I think yeah. there's been maybe two occasions where I didn't make my, my release day, you know, yeah. and even then it was because, well, when I was sick with COVID for one thing, mm. <laughs> I missed it, yeah. you know, uh, but, but then you have obligations to advertisers as well as your listeners, you know? Yeah. So I've, so my mindset, you know, I, I still work on that deadline mentality, you know? Yeah, you have to, there's actually a lot of people it. listening and it's all on you. It's not like you can say, Oh, because of, you know, the, it's like, nah, yeah, exactly. the podcast is like, you know, it's all on you. So yeah, it's a one man show. So if it doesn't get done, it's, I can't blame it on anybody, but me, you know? Yeah. yeah but, so, but I think uh, that, those years in the newspaper business helped me get in that mindset, you know, that yeah, deadline you, you do it 
even if it's ugly, you get it done, you know, that's for all. sure. And <laughs> in reality, like if you're a creative person, it's never going to be perfect. And if you have more time to oh, do no. it, you're going to take it because yeah. you know, yeah. it's never perfect. And sometimes yeah. you'll have that part of it where you're just like, Ugh. I'll yeah. still have stuff I put out where I'm like, I wish I would have, but you know, you got to walk wish away. I had another hour to work on that, you know? Yeah. But, but y- yeah. You just get it done. Right, man. Perfect. That's all. You have to, but, uh, <laughs> thank you for uh, coming on, speaking to your podcast, true crime historian, uh, with Richard Jones. Do you want uh, just give like a quick, like what it's about for people that kind of forgot? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a true crime podcast. True crime historian tells the stories of the famous and forgotten scandals, scoundrels, and scourges of the past told through historic newspaper accounts in the golden age of yellow journalism. That's what it is. So basically what I do is I, once I find a case and, and I do some of the famous ones, like I've done, uh, you know, H.H. Holmes and, you know, the Black Dahlia and a few of the other ones. But a lot of these stories that I do, once I start looking at them, you know, they're on the front page, like for weeks at a time, but nobody's ever heard of them today. You know, like Kid McCoy, you've probably never heard of Kid McCoy, nope. but but in, in looking at the newspapers in 1924, he was on the front page everywhere for, for yeah. months while this was going on, you know? And so, you know, I just, I just love going in there and, and digging up these stories. And, and uh, you know, like I said, I just, I just, I record a lot and then I start editing it down to, to make a, a, a lot of my, I feel like, I hope they do. They read like a short story more than, you know, whatever else it might be. Like uh, pure I, I, journalism. I, yeah, there's a there, yeah, there's a literary yeah yeah exactly because see my sweet spot for this stuff is from about 1870 to about 1940 hmm. uh, because that was when newspapers in the, in the United States uh, they started coming of age uh, they were attracting good writers and I think probably every newspaper man back in those days wanted to be a novelist you know because they write yeah. like that. Um, yeah. And, and, and so you know, you cobble this together, and uh, yeah, and you make a good story, and and you know, got a lot of character development and a lot of action, and it's just it's fun to do. And you know, when when I was start thinking about doing a podcast and doing my research, I think the best piece of advice I got uh, that I came across was make the podcast that you want to listen to and nobody else is doing. You know, mm, and so that's go. what I did is, is I, I was I was falling in love with all this old writing. And I thought, you know, I just I just want to I just want to put that back out there, you know, just just bring it back out there uh, and let people in, enjoy this as much as I do. And I hope they do. Yeah, there's something respectable about like someone that's just like, I don't care if no one likes this other than me you know people like that people respect yeah. that like yeah. that was the kind of the start of my show i was just like i just like what i want to do is just hang out so i called it yoel's hangouts but like i'm not i'm not the type of person to just talk into a mic i rather bounce ideas off of people speak frankly so it's like obviously there's other shows out there like that but for me i had no idea so i was just like oh interview show okay i've heard of that but you know let me put <laughs> yeah. my, own, my own swag on it whatever so yeah, like you have to like it, man. Like as two podcasters, like you cannot do it consistently if you don't enjoy it. But. No, no. And I still love doing it, you know. And you know, it's and I do it first for me, you know. Yeah. I do it first because I like reading this stuff, you know. Yeah. And then I know I've got listeners out there who 
you know, some of them are pretty fanatic about it, you know, yeah. they love what I do and, and I love them for loving that, you know? And so secondly, I do it for them, but first yeah. I got to do it. You know, if I wasn't enjoying doing this, I couldn't see doing it for five years and 427 oh. episodes. <laughs> wow. So once a week, once a week. Yeah. Once Plus a week. little bit of, uh, I have a Patreon account, so I do some special things for them. Uh, got you. I might start so I do, a Patreon. Huh? Do, you, do you recommend it? A Patreon? <sighs> You know, it, it's uh, it, it didn't take off like I thought it would, uh, but it gives me a little bit of money, and it it. But I think more than that is it gives me a connection with the people who are listening to my show. Yeah. You know? And so, so I'm in I'm in contact with them so that I know somebody's listening. You know, I mean, you can yeah. look at the numbers. You know, but yeah, that doesn't but really that doesn't do it. That doesn't yeah. do it. Um, but but when you're interacting with the people who are listening to your show and they're, gives they're, they're giving you feedback, yeah, it makes it more real. And that kind of helps yeah. keep me going and helps yeah. keep me on on deadline. <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, it's same with me. Like when I like I, I post it on social media. So when people like like someone recently put their uh, their YouTube rewind and they put they posted like mine as like their number one podcast that they listen to. And I was like, oh. Like there's something about like actually seeing that to make you be like, oh, okay, someone's listening, even though the numbers, obviously people are listening, but yeah, and it makes it more real when you interact or see, you know, something it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, you get that text or, you know, get that message and you're like, okay, like, you know, it feels like, you know, I'm making right. somewhat of a, of a difference, but yeah. yeah thank you for, for coming on the show. I, Thanks I, for having I, me. I, I could talk to you uh, for a while. <laughs> hopefully I'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. I'll have you back. Hopefully. Yeah. Look me up again, man. I'd um, love to, you know, whatever. It'd be fun. That'd be my, fun. my girlfriend says, just pull a string. He'll talk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. That's perfect for this podcast. <laughs> so I'm not going to complain, uh, uh, but all right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching Richard. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks you all. Appreciate it. Peace. And that is the UL's Hangout Podcast, guys. Thanks for coming along. If you can, please leave a five-star review on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be lovely. Uh, leave a comment as well. We, we really appreciate that. Thanks.